Today we study what the Bible calls the Great White Throne Judgment. And you know, Christians have so many questions about what is this particular judgment. Today we're going to take our time, we're going to go phrase for phrase through Scripture, and we're going to understand what happens at this incredible day that God is going to judge mankind. I hope to answer so many questions that people have concerning the great white throne judgment. I also want to invite you to download our free mobile app. If you have never taken the time to download Awakened to Grace, I hope you'll do that today. You can download it on tablets or on your uh, mobile device, but stay connected to us as we are consistently preaching the gospel and explaining Scripture verse by verse, just like today, as we are in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. I hope you enjoy today's edition of Awaken to Grace. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. We are in a quick two-week series on our first two Sundays back from the shutdown. It's called Eternity, What Are You Living For? Now, next Sunday, we begin our much-anticipated, because we announced this at the first of the year, that we would spend the summer studying the seven churches of Revelation. And I invite you to join me each Sunday of this special, special study. I'm going to teach you everything I know. It's not everything about the seven churches, but I I promise you this. It's everything I know personally about these texts. And I think, I hope, I pray it's going to minister to you in a great way. It's going to be a rich, rich Bible study for the summer. And I can't wait to dive into it beginning next Sunday. Last week, we talked about the Bema, what Scripture calls the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me just recap for 30 seconds for those who were not with us last week. We were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And we saw what Scripture calls the judgment seat of Christ. Here are the spark notes to it. Here's what you need to know about the judgment seat of Christ. First of all, it's for believers only. Unsaved people are not at the judgment seat of Christ. You need to understand it's for Christians, for Christ followers, for born-again people only. Number two, what you need to know is that it happens... Uh, In my view, Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, when the people of God are around the throne of God before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, I believe that's where the judgment bema seat of Christ happens. I believe that that's scripturally when it takes place. The Bible says when Christ comes, he comes with rewards in his hand. And what are the rewards that Christians can earn? Well, we get the five crowns of Scripture. If you don't live a worthless or a wasteful life, you will be rewarded by Jesus Christ. And we studied all of that in detail last week. If you missed it, you can go back on our app or website and listen. 
But we saw in great detail that the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine if you are saved. In fact, only the saved will actually be there. It's not to judge your sins because Christ absorbed your sins. Christ took the penalty of your sin upon the cross. And therefore, you and I will never stand and give an account. We'll never stand in judgment of our personal sin because that's been transferred to Jesus Christ. So what is the judgment seat of Christ? Well, Christ will judge how we live our motives, the opportunities that we either wasted, squandered, or took advantage of. If we lived for the glory of God, if our motives were right, if our motives were pure, that's what Christ will judge. So we saw that the judgment seat of Christ is not the kind of judgment we're going to study today. The judgment seat of Christ was for believers... It is around the throne of God, Revelation 4 and 5. And it is to reward Christians. That's the purpose of it. Now today is vastly different. Today we're going to study what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And I want to preach this as carefully and with the fear of God in my heart and a great reverence toward What he says, because hear me, hear me today, church, hear me. These are perhaps the most important, the most sobering, and perhaps the scariest words in all of the Bible. You and I will do very well to pay attention to it and to pay close attention to what the scripture teaches today. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 15 is where we are. And John begins by describing what what we're going to call today God's courtroom. Now, our society is fascinated with courtrooms. How many of you love shows like Law and Order? Right? uh, It cracks me up. Sometimes I'm around people, their ringtone is is that Law and Order, right? I love Law and Order. It's great. How many of us love TV shows that, uh, that deal with, with crime and with justice and, and all those courtroom dramas? We love to watch courtroom dramas, don't we, as a society? Well, John is going to paint a picture of what is the most serious, what is the most supreme, what is the most sovereign courtroom that mankind will ever know and will ever experience. And what is the beauty of this is that you and I have the opportunity to read it, to study it, to understand it, to apply it to our lives in this earth before it ever arrives. And may God give us the grace to hear what the Spirit would say to us today out of His Word. First of all, John says, I saw a great white throne. Now, why does the Bible call this judgment seat, this judgment time, why does he call it a great white throne? Note this if you want to take notes today. Number one, the word great in Greek is maga, M-A-G-A, maga. And it means great. Well, what did John mean by the word great? Well, if you and I are entangled, let's say we get into a civil lawsuit, and let's say you and I lose the lawsuit. Well, what can we do? 
we appeal to a higher court. And let's say you and I lose the next lawsuit, and what are we going to do? We're going to appeal to a higher court. But if we continue to appeal, eventually, what court will we end up in in the United States of America? The Supreme Court. And if you and I take our civil case to the Supreme Court and you and I lose in the Supreme Court, then who do we appeal to? There's no higher court. There's no one left to appeal. That is the final decision maker. There is a finality to the Supreme Court. And so it is when John is writing Revelation and he says, I looked and I saw this mega, this great white throne. What's he saying? This is the most supreme court of the universe. You cannot get higher You cannot get more serious. You cannot get to a more finality than the great white throne judgment of God. Now why is it called white? Because this speaks of the purity, of the holiness of God's justice. You and I well know that in our court systems today, in our society, is justice always served? No. You know, believe it or not, I've been to court many times. There have been many times that close friends of mine or even people within our church has gotten tangled up in this or that and they've asked me to go to court with them. And they've asked me to be a character witness. And so I've been in quite a number of courtrooms. And I remember one day I was there with with a family from our church and uh, you know, I'm sitting in the courtroom and they're having many cases in and out, whatever, on the docket. And, and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching everything. And I remember this young, thin, tall guy, probably 25 to 28 years old. He didn't seem like it was his first time in court, if you know what I'm saying. And he was tall and thin and he goes before the judge. And, you know, everyone there is very obvious. The judge just lightly slapped his hand and you know, pay a little fine, and that's it. And I'll never forget this man. He was dressed up for court, and he was a young guy, tall, thin, and he was before the judge, and the judge lets him off easy, and when he turns around to all of us, a sly grin comes across his face. And I thought to myself, he's learned nothing. And then I thought, one day he's going to stand before a judge. It's not going to be that way. We all know of rapes that have gone on. We all know of abuse that has gone on. We all know of even murders or thefts that was never rightly judged on this earth. No, my friend, when it comes to the great the supreme, the sovereign, holy, righteous judgment of God. Not one thing will be mistaken. Not one thing will be left without justice. Not one thing will be left unnoticed before an almighty God. It is called white because it is pure and it is holy and it is just. Now, That's the courtroom. We see a great white throne. Notice number two today. John's going to tell us about the judge. John says, 
and I saw he who sat upon the throne. Now, who is he? Now, note this. John chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus teaches, the Father does not judge anyone, but has given all judgment to the Son. Do you know who sits upon this great white throne? Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate judge of the universe. And how fitting that in this life, men who judged Jesus Christ, men and women and children and students who rejected Jesus Christ, how fitting it is that Christ would be the judge of them. It is Christ who sits upon this, ju- upon this judgment seat. So the question is today, what have you done with Christ? What have you done personally with Jesus Christ? What have you done with Him? Do you remember I told you the story last week about the older man who came into my office, a man elderly, up in years, and told me, I have no problem with God. It's Jesus Christ I have a problem with. Well, sir, you have a mighty big problem. Because who is he going to stand in judgment before? The Son, Jesus Christ. So John shows us, number one, the courtroom. He shows us, number two, the judge. Number three, I want you to note this. John shows us the defendants. Who are the defendants? John records it. He says, and then I saw the dead, both great and small. What's John saying here? I saw the dead, both great and small. First of all, note this. Again, many things I want you to note today. When it says the dead, it doesn't mean just the the, the physical death of a human being. No, John is saying those who are spiritually dead. Those who are not alive in Christ. See, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Very interesting verse. Paul writes, it is Jesus Christ who will judge both the living and the dead. See, I never really understood that verse. I thought it was saying those who are living, breathing, and those who are no longer breathing, and they're dead. No. What he's saying, it is a spiritual matter. Those who are born again, and therefore they're alive in Christ, and those who are dead in their sins. Do you see what I'm saying? And what John is pinning here is he's saying, I saw those who were apart from Christ. Here is the good gospel news. You and I who are born again will never stand in the great white throne judgment. We'll never appear before this supreme court. We'll never appear and and give account of our sins. No, you and I have already done that according to the Bible. Revelation 4 or 5, we've already done it at the Bema judgment seat of Christ. And we were rewarded, not judged. Only the spiritually dead, only those who were apart from Christ, those are the ones who will stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne. Those are the defendants. And then I want you to notice next, we see the courtroom, we see the judge, we see the defendants. Next, I want you to note this, we see the evidence. What is the evidence? The Bible mentions two things. We'll call it Exhibit A. 
the books. Now, what are the books? If you continue to read, John says that each man is judged for what he has done, the deeds with which he has, in other words, the kind of life that he lived. Now, this is interesting. Now, this is so interesting to me. First of all, let's get this out of the way. You know, there are some people who believe in what's called the doctrine of annihilation. Do you know what that means? That there's no afterlife. Years ago, I was traveling home from the Middle East from a mission trip, and I was connecting uh, in Amsterdam, Netherlands. And I was going to fly from Amsterdam um, somewhere, probably Atlanta or Detroit or somewhere here coming home. And sitting beside me, I got there a little early and I was already buckled into my seat. And when I had eyesight and I would fly, I'm not a chatty Cathy on airplanes. I'd just rather put in earbuds and think or do plan or pray, whatever. I don't like to chat. And an older man came and sat down beside me. It was his assigned seat. And he was a Dutchman. He was from Holland, and he was coming to America to visit. I could tell you everything about him because he told me everything about him, unfortunately. (laughs) And this guy was a talker, right? Talked. And the whole, from the time we were taxiing onto the runway, from the time we lifted off, this guy, I couldn't even get a word in edgewise. He just talked. Well, right as we were getting ready to take off, he looks at me and says, well, what do you do for a living? And let me tell you, you talking about watching people squirm when I'm on an airplane. They say, well, what do you do for a living? I pastor a church. They squirm all of a sudden. I don't know. And this guy, it would appear, was done talking, but he wasn't. He gave it a few minutes to absorb, and then he wanted to talk. You guessed it. Religion. Well, I didn't want to talk religion. I never want to talk religion. I want to talk Jesus. Religion doesn't save anyone. Religion doesn't rescue. Religion doesn't deliver. Only Jesus can rescue people. Amen? Well, he wanted to dive into this, and we're talking, and and I'm trying to share the gospel with him the best of my ability. Now, granted, this is not a young man. This is a man much up in years. And you know what he told me? He said... I don't believe any of it. He said, I think when you die, you die. What do you mean? Well, when you're dead, you're dead. Explain it. Well, you didn't exist before you were conceived, and after you die, you don't exist then. Your existence is done. It's gone. That's called annihilation. And it's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that after each one has died, we will give an account. Hebrews 9, 27, For it is appointed unto man to die once, and after this, the judgment. So John sees the dead. Who are they? They're the defendants. They are the spiritually dead, those who are apart from Jesus. No believer... No believer is at the great white throne judgment. Praise God. Christ absorbed our judgment on the cross. So who are these dead? Well, John says both great and small. What does he mean by that? 
He means men who were famous, wealthy, mighty, powerful. He means the Joseph Stalins and the Adolf Hitlers. He means the Saddam Husseins and he means the Alexander the Greats and all the men of history, all the women of history who are mighty, who are known. And then he says something odd. He says both small and great. You know what he means by the word small? Those who are insignificant. Those who history never recorded their name. You know what John is saying? What John is saying is no matter how mighty a person is, no matter how well known they are, they'll stand before Almighty God. And no matter how insignificant someone is, no one is too great and no one is too small to slip by the judgment of God. Think about that. No matter who you are, you may be as average as average comes. You may be average. My friend, you may even be considered, you may consider yourself below average, but you are not too insignificant that you will not stand before God if you're apart from Jesus. Everyone both great and small, will stand before the Lord who are not found in Christ. So we see the courtroom, the great white throne. We see the judge who is Jesus Christ. We see the defendants who are the spiritually dead, both great and small. And now we see the evidence, the books. Exhibit A, what is... what? What does Scripture mean by books? Well, as I said a moment ago, if you read on down, it talks about how our deeds are recorded. Now, I have to chuckle at some people because there are some people that would mock Scripture and go, whoa, 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 Chad, you're telling me that everything I do in life is actually logged and recorded? That's what the Bible teaches. Now, if you're someone you don't believe that, let me tell you how silly you are. Do you not think that everywhere you go, you're not being recorded? Go to the bank, you're recorded. Go shopping and you're recorded. Drive down Stone Drive and you're being recorded. Walk in my counseling office and guess what? You're being recorded. How many of you have those doorbell cameras already at your home, right? Everywhere you go, you're being recorded. Or how about this? How many of you have talked around your smartphone and all of a sudden you start to get ads for what you just had a conversation about? That happened to any of you? Come on now, right? Sadie and I can drive past Chick-fil-A and all of a sudden Chick-fil-A coupons come to our phone. That's called geofencing, right? That's why you can walk down a grocery aisle and you can walk past Tide or some, some kind of detergent and all of a sudden Procter & Gamble or whoever will send you a coupon to your phone. And you're telling me that you don't think heaven has better and more sophisticated technology than what we have? Come on now. Don't be silly. Everything about your life is recorded in heaven.
everything. Everything. And one day, when those who are apart from Christ stand before God, and if they were to have any defense whatsoever, they will not, because what will be open? The books. And every wrong, and every sin, Everything you've ever done that is contrary to the law of God will stand against you in judgment. What a sobering thought. That's why if your sin is not forgiven by Christ, then what will you do with it? What will you do when the books are read and you have no defense? Some scholars believe that not only are the books the recordings of our lives, which I agree, some also believe that the book, the Word of God, will be among the books. I believe that too. The Word of God will judge us. The Word of God will I believe it will be there on that great judgment day. What have you done with the Word of God? Have you obeyed it? Have you applied it? Hmm. Sobering thought, isn't it? Let's look at exhibit B. Exhibit A are the books. Exhibit B, the Bible calls the book of life. (laughs) You remember in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out his people and They came back rejoicing and they said, even the demons are subject to us under your name. And you remember what Jesus told them? He said, don't rejoice over these things. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Glory to God. Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Anybody remember that old song? I know my name is there. My name once stood with sinners Lost and bore a painful record. But now we can sing, I know my name is written there. What a thing to have your name in the Lamb's book of life. What a thing to have your name recorded in the book of life. Jesus said that's what we should rejoice in. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he pastored Westminster in London, Throughout the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. At the end of his life, Dr. Jones was dying of cancer. And his biographer spent the last few weeks with him. And Every day, Dr. Jones would, his body was racked with cancer, but that great man of God, he would get out of bed and he would put on his three-piece suit sat in his armchair and edit his sermon manuscripts for a couple of hours as long as he had strength. And when his strength was gone, he would get up, take off his suit, put back on his pajamas, and lie in bed as he was dying. And his biographer asked him a question. See, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great, great man who did many great things. And his biographer said, Dr. Jones, is it difficult for you in these days to be so used by God and to do such mighty things for God, but now 
as though God has set you on a shelf and you're unable to do anything except edit a few lines of a sermon? Is it difficult for you? And you know what that great Englishman, man of God, you know what he said? He shook his head and he said, I rejoice that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you rejoice in what you do for God? Do you rejoice in what you have in life? Do you rejoice in what you accumulate? Do you rejoice in your successes? Do you rejoice in your children and their accomplishments? Or do you rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life today? Exhibit A are the books. Exhibit B is the book of life. Now we've seen the courtroom the great white throne. We've seen the judge who is Jesus Christ. We've seen the defendants who are the dead, both great and small. We've seen the evidence, exhibit A, the books, exhibit B, the book of life. Now let's look at the verdict. The Bible says that death and Hades were given up and the sea gave up their dead See, the reason John says that is because in in the ancient times, the sea was seen as the most inaccessible place to humans. And do you know what John is saying by this? Even those who are in the depths of the sea, that are buried in the depths of the sea, even the most inaccessible places on the earth gave up their dead. It means no one will escape. No one will go unnoticed. And that includes you and me, if we are apart from Jesus. And what's the verdict on this day? Well, when you read the books, when you read the evidence, there's only one verdict at this place, and that's guilty. Do you know what puts a shudder down my spine when I listen to Revelation 11 through 15? You know what causes me to shudder? From Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the book of Revelation, it is a story of grace. Just as our atmosphere is rich in oxygen, and we can deeply breathe in oxygen, this climate, this atmosphere, this age with which we live, this time period that you are listening to the sound of my voice, this is an age of grace. The rich grace of God saves men and women, children and students. The rich grace of God converts us and forgives our sins and awakens us to Jesus Christ. It is God's grace and God's grace alone that does such a saving work. But do you know what is noticeably absent from Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15? There's no more grace. There is no grace In these texts. Do you know what this tells me my friend? The verdict is final. 
There is no coming back. There is no reliving life. There is no making better decisions. There is no repenting at another time. There is a finality to the great white throne judgment that scripture is so serious and it is so sobering that it wants us to see the weightiness of what this day brings. The verdict will be guilty. Why? Because the evidence will be overwhelming. And there is no grace. There is no grace to convert. There is no grace to repent. There is no grace to forgive. There is no more grace left. And now, lastly for today, the sentencing. What is the sentence? It is the most sobering words of the Bible. It teaches that anyone's, anyone whose name was not found in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now see, a lot of people don't know this because they don't study the Bible, but a lot of people don't know this. Hell is not eternal. Heaven is not even eternal. See, at the end of God's events, which are through the book of Revelation and the great white throne is one of the last events of history. And then we enter into what what is the eternal state. But see, if you and I were to die today and go to heaven, we're not going to stay in heaven forever. See, the Bible teaches, Revelation 21, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth with a new Jerusalem. And heaven is going to be relocated to this permanent, forever, newly created earth. That's what the Bible teaches. So it is with hell. Hell is not forever. The Bible teaches that what the eternal state of those who are apart from Christ, it calls it the lake of fire. And the Bible teaches that hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. There there will be torment both day and night. Sobering. Sobering. What is the sentencing? The sentencing is an eternal sentence. Warren Wiersbe said it well. This is the only courtroom that has a judge but no jury. It's the only courtroom that will have a sentencing with no appeal. It will be final. And it will be forever. Friends, this is worth us examining our souls. This is worth us asking, did we get a bit of religion or do we have Jesus Christ? This is worth us asking, have I been truly, soundly converted? Are my sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? Am I trusting in Jesus? Or will I face my sin on that day all by myself? It's worth examining our hearts. Now, let me give you the good news as I finish today. See, what the Bible calls this final sentencing, it is the most frightening term. The Bible calls it the second death. But let me tell you today how to escape that. You know what Jesus called it? Jesus called it being born again. (laughs) You know, if you watch much TV today, they make fun of born-again Christians. But let me tell you, 
those people have no idea what is awaiting them. But the Bible calls it the second death. You must be born again. See, think about this. David Jeremiah says it so well. Think about this. If you're born once, only that out of your mother's womb, only this physical birth, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. You'll die a physical, natural death, but then you'll die what Revelation 20, verse 15 says, you'll die a second death. But if you're born twice, (laughs) if you're born of your mother's womb, this physical birth, and then you're born again by God's Spirit, your sins are forgiven, Christ is your Lord, you will only die once. Hallelujah. You'll only die once. And you know what will happen for those who die in the Lord? Oh, come on now. Let me preach for just a second, okay? Because this, boy, this, this means so much to me. See, my dad wasn't born again until the last 15 years of his life. But the day that my dad breathed his last breath, I could say with confidence, my dad died in the Lord. And do you know why it's so important that you die in Christ, that you die in the Lord? Because do you know what awaits those who die in the Lord? Nothing but life. Nothing but life. And do you know what awaits those who die apart from Christ? The second death. What will be for the people of God? Think about this. Think about it. The book of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible calls the river, that crystal sea, it calls it the water of life in heaven. Amen? I read a book last year and I take very, you know, I take with a grain of salt people who have had out of, you know, death experiences and things like that. But I read a book called The Hell Conspiracy and it was about a woman who who the Lord allowed her to go through this experience of going to hell. And she said something that I'd never thought about. She talked about what it was to be there and for her whole being to be dry with no, with no liquid and no water whatsoever. And what a stark contrast to heaven where the Bible tells us we will drink of the water of life. There's the tree of life, the water of life, the book of life. Friends, there's nothing that awaits the believer except for eternal life. And there's nothing that awaits the unbeliever than eternal death, the second death. That's why Jesus will be Lord. That's why he'll be judge of both the living and the dead. Which are you today? Are you alive in Christ? Are you safe, secure in the atoning work of Jesus? Has his blood been applied to your life? Or are you embracing sin? Are you playing with sin? And one day, when the books are opened, what will be read about your life? Let's bow our heads today. What I'm asking in short is, have you been born once or have you been born twice? That will determine if you die once or if you die twice.
Friends, there is hope, but only today. There's no hope in that judgment day. There's grace today, but there is no grace on judgment day. There's salvation today, but there is no salvation on judgment day. You will not stand before the great white throne to see if you've been saved. Friends, it will be too late. Christ wants to rescue you now. He wants to save you now. He wants to deliver you out of your sins. Oh, how he wants to rescue you today. I'm telling you, Christ does not want to make your life better. He doesn't want to make it easier. He doesn't want to make it more comfortable. He wants to rescue you out of sin. That's what he wants to do. And some of you have chased religion. Some of you have chased spirituality. And you've got this thing in your head that if you can just become more spiritual, then you'll become more happy. My friend, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's your sin today. That is what will separate you for eternity from a God who already loves you. What will you do with Jesus today? What will you do? May every man and every woman, may every student and every child listening, may you understand and may you realize that Christ today will take your sin and he'll forgive you. And he'll bring grace to you. And he'll bring salvation to you. Today, this is the day of salvation. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you are here today and you are apart from Jesus, let me tell you, we have many people ready to pray with you. You will not be alone. I want to invite you to this altar. You say, oh, Chad, I would have to walk down in front of everybody, friend. You're going to stand in judgment one day in front of all of the dead. No, no, don't let Satan tell you that. Somebody brought you today. Somebody came with you, whatever. Take them by the hand. You don't have to walk up here by yourself. Bring whoever invited you. But I want to invite you now to slip out of your seat. Come sit on this platform. Stand, kneel, whatever you need to do. We have many people ready to pray. We've been praying for this day. Praying for who God sends. You need Jesus today? I want you to come right now. Right now. Slip out of your seat. Escape. Escape that great judgment day through Jesus Christ. Let him forgive your sins once and for all. Let him help you. Let him rescue you. Let him deliver you. Let him save you today. Come and repent. Come and kneel or sit or stand and say, Jesus, I'm coming a sinner, but I want to go home saved. Hallelujah. I want to go home redeemed. I want to go home rescued in Jesus' mighty name. God grant us 
godly sorrow. Grant us godly repentance, oh God. Now, those who are praying, calling on the name of the Lord, maybe you're here and you've got loved ones, you've got children, oh God, you've got children who are headed toward a Christless eternity. You have grandchildren apart from Jesus. You've got neighbors, you've got husbands, wives, you've got parents, whatever. And you know, you know they're headed toward a Christless eternity. You come right now and you pray for them. You come right now and say, God, rescue. God, deliver. God, rescue in the name of Jesus. Oh God, give me opportunity. Give me opportunity to share the gospel. Bring people across their path, God. Awaken them in Jesus' name. Awaken them to the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come do business with God. Come and do business with God. Plead on their behalf. Intercede on their behalf. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Convert, oh God. Convert. Convert, Lord God. And forgive us, Lord, as a church, as your people, God. We have tried for far too long to court the world. And we're not called to court the world. We're called to convert it in Jesus' name. Bring repentance. Angels rejoice in heaven over repentance. Repentance, Lord God. Repentance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Hallelujah. telling you I feel the Holy Spirit telling me to tell you right now get off of Facebook quit your online shopping get out of the hobbies quit wasting your life quit wasting your time and intercede and get serious about the state of your soul and the soul of those who you love God forgive us God forgive us God, forgive us. Help us, Lord God. Hallelujah. You save to the uttermost. You save to the uttermost. You save to the uttermost. Stretch out your hand, Lord. Today, stretch out your hand and rescue. Those who are watching online, those who are listening to this audio or watching this video, God will rescue you today. Today, God will rescue you. Call upon Him. Call upon Him. Repent of your sin. Deal bountifully deal gracefully 
It's your kindness, Romans 2.4, Lord. I remind you, Lord God, of your word, Romans 2.4. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Oh, God, I've preached of judgment today, but God, let us see your kindness, oh God. That grace is today. It's not later, it's today. Hope is today. Redemption is today. Salvation is today. And what kindness, Lord God. What kindness that you would awaken us. What kindness that you would not leave us in our sins. What kindness, Lord God, that you would convict us and woo us and save us. What kindness. What kindness that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life. What kindness, what kindness that you would give us eternal life, water of life, the tree of life. What great kindness, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a holy moment. Hallelujah. And Father, our assurance today is not in what we've done. Oh, no. Our assurance is in what Christ has done. That's our assurance. For these things, 1 John, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Hallelujah. So whatever's been done in hearts today, don't let Satan come and try to steal it. No. Hallelujah. Rescue. all to pray right now you know scripture says in Hebrews I'm sorry first Peter says that salvation our salvation are things into which angels 
long to look. See, they're so intrigued. Why? They're in all that God would save us. Can we just thank the Lord right now in our own praying, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you, God, for redeeming me. Thank you, Lord, for finding value in me. That for the joy that was set before Jesus, He endured the cross. That when He found, (laughs) when He found that hidden treasure, He sold everything. Philippians 2, he, he, He humbled Himself and put on this robe of flesh. And He sold it all for the joy that was set before Him. And He became poor that we might become rich. He became unrighteous that we might be the righteousness of God. Thank you, God. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your great work today, Lord God. Thank you that the kingdom of God has come near to us. Thank you, God. And the thanksgivings of this salvation that is on May 31st, 2020 will echo and ring for all eternity. Thank you.